my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast from the Byline Times. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, Westminster's culture of sexual misconduct. The Deputy Chief Whip, Chris Pincher, has had to resign from his senior position after drunkenly groping two men, although he remains MP for Tamworth. But the scandal has deepened following revelations that Boris Johnson was previously tipped off about Pincher's behaviour and apparently ignored it. This story comes as no surprise to Byline Times political editor and Chief Westminster correspondent Adam Bienkoff, who has written for us about Johnson's long record of dismissing and covering up similar complaints. We'll also hear from Byline Times editor Hardeep Matharu, who published articles detailing Westminster's sleazy culture well before the Pincher story broke. We'll hear from both Adam and Hardeep shortly. First, though, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscribers to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper. We can report without fear or favour because there is no wealthy proprietor behind us asking us to delete stories that might offend his mates. Our funding comes from ordinary readers taking out subscriptions to the Byline Times. So please subscribe if you can. You get details at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. And if you've already taken out a subscription, thank you. Firstly, Hardy, let me come to you and just reflect on the fact that the the pincher story is very much of the moment, but there is a deeply embedded culture of sexual misconduct at Westminster. I mean, I just something that really sticks in my mind from reading this weekend's various news reports on the Chris Pincher scandal is something that Dominic Cummings, uh, the prime minister's former chief advisor, uh, has said, which hasn't been denied by number 10, uh, that Boris Johnson used to, we used to say, pincher by name, pincher by nature. And I really do think that just sums up uh, not only this, you know, the seriousness of the Westminster sexual misconduct scandal, but why it has become such an endemic crisis uh, in the very heart of, of politics. Um, in an environment where you would expect the highest standards um, uh, being upheld in public life, you've actually got the opposite. You've got a normalized uh, sort of culture whereby inappropriate behavior is, is going on, mainly towards women, also towards men. And there's a mix between that and power. You know, they are the corridors of power and how power is sustained, how that operates uh, and how one gets ahead in that world. So, yeah, the Chris Pincher scandal is just, you know, this is for the iceberg, as we already know. And Adam will be able to talk more about this. 56 MPs have some sort of allegations regarding inappropriate behaviour against them. Uh, There are various other examples that we've had just in, you know, recent days and weeks of, you know, of of this happening uh, at the hands of many other MPs. It's also uh, an issue that crosses party lines. Uh, In this case, it's the Conservatives again, but this isn't an issue that's necessarily just to do with that. And it's, I I just think it's absolutely shocking if there was, you know, in, in our daily lives, you know, if there's any workplace where you have that proportion of people working there where this sort of behavior was happening and then seemingly uh, that's not being dealt with. If that was any other office (laughs) or newsroom or, you know, or uh, sort of working environment, 
it just it would it it would be it would be deemed as completely shocking and something that has to be rooted out. So I I think the same approach really should be taken with what's happening in Westminster, but it's not, and that's what's really concerning. That for a, a whole range of reasons, it's not being taken seriously. Uh, there's also been a backlash of sorts against. Uh, I know in 2017 it was sort of deemed the Pestminster sort of scandal, the new revelations there, there was the Me Too movement. It seems to have been a backlash against any awareness that was raised through that. Uh, and a very sort of masculine culture. You know, there's a lot of gender inequality in how Parliament works. It's a man's world. And I, th I think, yes, this speaks to yet another scandal with the Boris Johnson government, but it is so much bigger than that. But I do think we need to ask ourselves how... Um, you know, behavior of this sort intersects with power and politics. And why is it that so many, it seemingly so many people who are ending up in, you know, the highest corridors of power, uh, indulging in this behavior, why is that happening? Is it just merely being condoned? Is there something else about the culture itself, which is lending itself to that sort of behavior? All these questions should be really, really concerning. And, the fact that it's parliament should make that more of an, uh, you know, more urgent, more of a priority to deal with, because it obviously sets the tone for, you know, the, the entire country to some extent. And yet here we have, you know, Boris Johnson, the prime minister saying pincher by name, pincher by nature. I mean, what sort of example <laughs> or any sort of uh, setting of standards uh, does that give us? Uh, I think it's deeply, deeply concerning. We will talk about the fact that this isn't just a Conservative Party issue and it isn't just a, a Boris Johnson related issue. But, Adam, you wrote recently for the Byline Times about Johnson's long record of dismissing and covering up allegations like this. Just tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, well, I think it's it's worth saying, uh, as, as Hardeep has, has set out, that, you know, some of the coverage of this has suggested it's about groping or a sort of a sex scandal, which it absolutely, yes, that, that is a feature of it, but it's not the, the fundamental issue here. You know, this isn't predominantly, and I think the Chris Pincher scandal has, has shown this, isn't predominantly about sex, and it's not even sort of wholly about uh, misogyny, you know, of course, or you know, sex, sexism towards women, it's, it's, although that's, of course, also a big part of it. Um, but I think what the Chris Pincher case shows, that it's, it's what it's really about, is about male power, and that can be power over uh, predominantly it's been over women and young women in particular but it can also be over over young men and it's it's taking pleasure out of exercising power over other people normally young people um and that, that abuse of power can it can be in like a career sense so you can hold someone's career in their hands and it may not even have a sexual element at all but in some cases it does have a direct uh, sexual sense and certainly all the victims I've spoken to they've said that that's the the main feature of this abuse that it's about power and exercising power and it's not just the power of the people who are taking part in these these actions who are abusing people it's also the power of, of people who excuse that behavior and protect those people in power and I think we've seen that really clearly um, over recent days with Boris Johnson, uh, last week when the Chris Pincher, um, latest Chris Pincher allegations, because obviously there's been allegations against him going back over many years, when latest allegations came up last week, the immediate response from uh, Downing Street was that he had resigned, but that was the end of the matter. They, they said it drew a line in the sand. 
Um, he'd done the decent thing was actually the line that was put out, which was quite a remarkable statement. Uh, but because, because uh, Chris Mitchell is a close ally of Johnson, helped him, protect him from being ousted as leader earlier this year, a deputy whip, uh, he was extended protection by somebody in power. And Pincher and other people, other abusers in Parliament, are aware of the power they have and they use that in order to exercise it over people that don't have it. And, and Johnson, you know, himself, of course, has had allegations of um, uh, sexual harassment against him as well. There was the Times, Sunday Times journalist Charlotte Edwards, who uh, accused him of um, assaulting herself and another woman uh, back in 1999. Um, and I previously reported on allegations against a member of his staff when he was at City Hall. Um, and again, at the time, he dismissed the allegations and took no action against his then deputy mayor for policing because he was part of he was part of his team, he was part of the gang. He had the protection of Boris Johnson. So, so I think the, the power kind of works both ways. It's not just the power of the, the individual taking his actions, it's also the power of the people that protect them. And that, that power goes right to the top. And of course, it goes to Boris Johnson. And it's very clear that he, he doesn't, he has got a long record of not taking action against people who act in this way, of denying and glossing over his own actions in this respect, um, and now failing to take action to, to solve the problem, the wider problem, the broader problem in Parliament, even though, as you say, it is something that extends across all parties and right across the political divide. And Hardik, this is important because if we want a parliament that truly reflects the diversity of the UK and recognising the fact that this is only about assaults on women, as the Chris Pincher case demonstrates, I think the culture at Westminster, as I hear about it, as I read about it in Byline Times, could be particularly off-putting to women. And on Byline Times, we ran an article in which Tara O'Reilly, who used to work at Westminster for the Labour Party, said she'd set up an organisation called Women in Westminster to try and help women get into positions like the one she was in. But she says, I absolutely wouldn't advise women to work in Parliament now. And when people have been on the inside of Parliament and they are saying to women, don't come and work here, that's got to be bad for our democracy. Absolutely, Adrian. I completely agree. And I think Westminster already has this sort of perception, I think, um, amongst the public that it's sort of a closed shop. You know, it's a sort of its own its own bubble. The people there are sort of too detached from people in their everyday lives. I think issues such as this feed into that, as you say, because why would you willingly want to put yourself in an environment where, you know, you're having to, you know, you're having to navigate these power dynamics that Adam has set out and, you know, compromise yourself, uh, have other people compromise themselves in order just to have a career, you know, in politics. That isn't something that should be a requirement. And of course, that's going to put people off. I mean, I have only, I've been in parliament a bit, you know, Adam is there every day, more or less, but 
just a snapshot of why I felt it was so important to commission the investigation that Adam led with Sean Norris and Sasha Lavin on Byline Times about the Westminster sexual misconduct scandal. Uh, we had done a lot of work on our Byline intelligence team, looking at the data around Parliament and what it meant for gender equality and, and women's representation. Uh, we'd also done a lot on women's rights and uh, and then being eroded around the world and how that plays out at a very, um, you know, in our politics and why. But I, it was it was amongst all of these allegations that were still coming out. And we held a Byline Times book. There's a book event that we held in Westminster. And afterwards, some of the MPs who had attended hosted a few of us um, in the Strangers Bar inside Parliament, which is quite famous uh, and or infamous, I should say. And we sort of went down there. It was, a, you know, I was with colleagues. It was sort of very much a drink that was a work drink after the event. Uh, there were MPs. It was, there was nothing that concerned me about people I was with or anything like that. But I remember thinking as I got to the bar and people say, well, what do you want to have to drink? And I thought, I best just have a soft drink. And you know, it's it really it wasn't, as I said, nothing about the people immediately around me that I found concerning. It was more that I've I've read and heard how many allegations there are against sitting MPs of sexual misconduct. And I can you know, you do walk through Westminster, you do feel it's like a closed place it's sort of a world within a world it's very you know and and there are certain codes and sort of things going on you have to know how it all works and I just thought this isn't an environment for quite frankly that I want to be having a drink in as a woman you know uh, and I just found I went home and I found that thought alarming you know, that this is parliament. It's not like, you know, that's where I felt that sort of um, the need to be that cautious. And I think that really prompted me to think we've got to understand why this is happening. You know, why is it that nearly every other day now there's a new allegation surfacing? You know, well, what are some of the, the, re the dynamics behind that? And yeah, and I think all of this, the longer it goes on, and as Adam says, the fact that it's not just about people exercising power over others, but the power then other people are using to cover that behavior up, that is going to be off-putting to women, it's going to be off-putting to lots of, um, you know, lots of other people who want to go into politics and it's going to be off-putting to a, to the public who increasingly will see this as it's just a world of its own it has its own code of conduct uh, the rules don't apply uh, it's one rule for them one rule for us it just feeds into that wider sense I think the public has which goes beyond the Johnson government of this is this is so far from our lives every day so far from what we expect and they just carry on yeah and um, that laddish culture for want of a better word that drinking culture adam seems yeah. to be absolutely embedded in westminster yes i mean there certainly is a problem with uh, alcohol in westminster but i, but I think we we do have to sort of be careful about this because often the response of parliamentary authorities whenever this scandal sort of rises to the surface is to blame it on a sort of so-called drinking culture in Parliament and the sort of few actions they take to, to, to supposedly to protect people or to deal with the scandal is to put limits on that. So recently parliamentary authorities uh, stopped staffers from drinking on certain days. Now, given the fact that actually predominantly the victims of some of these actions are staffers themselves um, and the per perpetrators are predominantly people in power, including MPs, it's almost like victim blaming, sort of restricting 
the ability of staffers to go for a drink. And it's of course it's worth saying there are plenty of other workplaces where people go for a drink on a on a Friday night after work and where this this behaviour doesn't happen. However, I think where there is a problem, it's not so much the sort of drinking culture, although of course that is a factor in, in people's behaviour. It's more of kind of like a, a bar culture. Uh, where a lot of the decisions about people's careers are made inside the bars, and particularly in the strangers' bar, which Hardy uh, mentioned earlier. And there are people there in senior positions of power who, who sort of hold court on the terrace bar overlooking the Thames. And people know that the way you advance your career in Westminster is to either be part of that kind of drinking gang, being in their gang, going every, every night down to the strangers' bar, or in some cases, it's even more explicit than that, where these so-called gatekeepers, these people in positions of power, MPs, senior staffers, will explicitly say to people, uh, to young staffers, well, here are, as Stella Creasy told us, uh, will explicitly say, um, in order to get ahead, you'll need to do me sexual favours. But even if it's not as explicit as that, there is an awareness among people trying to advance their careers that if these gatekeepers act in that way, um, that they have to keep quiet about it because if they speak up, then their careers will be damaged. And of course, that's um, what victims have told us happened to them. Tara um, O'Reilly in particular said that you know, her career in Westminster was effectively finished by speaking up about these issues. Um, so yes, I think there is a problem with drinking and, and, and it does make the behaviour worse, but it's not—it's more of a symptom than it is the cause of this behaviour. Mm -hmm. And at the same time as acknowledging that it is broader than Johnson, and I'll talk about that in a moment, but you've mentioned some of his own past indiscretions, for want of a better word, and the old cliche that a fish rots from the head. If the, the person who is at the top of the professional tree in Westminster doesn't appear to take these kinds of allegations seriously, it does send a signal. Yes, of course it does. And um, when the recent case of Neil Parrish was um, revealed by Conservative MPs themselves, who came forward as whistleblowers, there was criticism of those MPs from a senior aide, Johnson, his uh, campaign strategist, David Canzini, who rather than uh, attacking Neil Parrish, blamed these women for coming forward and speaking about it uh, semi-publicly. Semi um, also, when last week, when the allegations emerged about Chris Pincher, uh, Johnson's communications chief reportedly said that everybody should, should think about Chris Pincher and, you know, he's going through a hard time and we need to look after him. And so all of this does come, come from the top and it does kind of send a message to people um, that just to, to discourage them from coming forward and talking about these issues and that that those messages and that culture does come from the top and it comes from Johnson who as you say has got a long record of not taking these issues seriously I think that is absolutely uh, characterized by his reported comments saying pincher by name pincher by nature which just shows exactly the, the attitude that he has to 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 situations like this and um, of course this does go across all parties but change only ever comes from the top and you need somebody who at the very least takes this seriously um, you know, even before you get into how, how exactly you solve the problem. Yeah I know that Scotland Yard has dropped a sexual harassment investigation into the SNP MP mm -hmm. Patrick Grady but Patrick Grady who was previously subject to a parliamentary inquiry has apologised. He said he was profoundly sorry after the parliamentary inquiry 
found that he had acted inappropriately towards an SNP staff member. So yeah. we do have to be, yeah, I mean, the, the, as we've been at pains to emphasise, this is this is cross-party. Yes, and the, the bar for prosecution is obviously very high in, in these cases. Um, and that's part of the defence that Downing Street has made about appointing um, Chris Pincher to reappointing him to the Whip's office, is that there was no formal complaint and that these, these were sort of uh, unsubstantiated allegations against him. But actually, look, everybody knew what, the, what sort of behaviour Chris Pincher was getting up to, even if they didn't have proof. Um, and often it's very hard to get proof. It's, it's a case of one person's word against another. But if you're getting lots of people coming to you and saying, this guy is behaving in a certain way, then you have to take it seriously. It's not good enough just to say nothing has been proven. Uh, you need to have a sort of uh, your your first preference should be to believing people who come forward and believing the victims. And Hardeep, spoiler alert: there will be more revelations emerging in the Byline Times at bylinetimes.com over the coming days, and they will mm-hmm. not involve the Conservative Party. Yes, Adam, Sean and Sasha are currently investigating um, how this is a problem um, in opposition parties as well. Um, What sort of, yeah, what sort of things might have happened there. And I think the reason we are going to keep doing this, because it is it is an endemic crisis. It's not just something that is slightly concerning. This should be shocking, uh, should be seen as shocking. um, But we need to uncover why exactly it's happening and get to, you know, and and start looking at what are the solutions to some of this stuff. I think for me as well, one one of the things that really stands out from all of this is, you know, increasing representation itself doesn't necessarily lead to transformation in the culture and in terms of outcomes. So just because we have many, many, many more women in parliament now, doesn't mean that suddenly uh, there isn't a problem uh, with regards to misogyny, with regards to sexual misconduct. Uh, Indeed, it's a problem in our society. So of course it's gonna be reflected in parliament. But I think sometimes it's very easy to, to have that window dressing and to make that look more attractive. Whereas underneath, if that if that doesn't go hand in hand with a genuine change in culture, with a genuine um, change in how in how it is seen as acceptable to behave uh, and what it means to have genuine diversity of representation, uh, then these scandals will keep coming up. One of the things that's been interesting is on the issue of, of race and sort of racial inequity uh, in this country. You know, we've spoken before about how the Johnson government in particular is very proud to have a front bench with a number of people of colour, you know, the Home Secretary, the Health and Social Care Secretary, uh, that, you know, very prominent positions. And you have people from immigrant backgrounds. And whenever he's asked, whenever Boris Johnson's asked about, for example, the issue of race and some maybe sort of, um, you know, outcomes for people based on sort of the differences in outcomes based on uh, different people's races and how that might be relevant to fixing some of these issues of inequity. He always, all he really ever does is point to the front bench and say how, you know, we don't have a problem because we live in a country where, uh, you know, secretaries of state are people of colour. But that doesn't necessarily at all uh, deal with the experience of people who don't end up as the Home Secretary. And I think it's the same with women, just because we have more women in Parliament does not mean that this problem has gone away. Uh, You 
think it would have, you think it would have prompted over the years changes. And in some respects it has, but that in itself, that in itself does not lead uh, to genuine transformation unless genuine transformation is the intent. And I think just, you know, as Adam was saying, Boris Johnson in this, at this moment is the man in charge. And from his actions and his words, not just in the past, but in terms of now the Chris Pincher case, we're not hearing anything, I don't think, that inspires inspires sort of confidence that this issue is is being taken seriously uh, and will and will continue to continue to be taken seriously which is why on byline times we're going we're going to stick with this and if anybody does have um, an experience that they think is is uh relevant to share with us i would encourage them to confidentially contact adam uh, adam bienkov um Adam at bylinetimes.com. They can be anonymous, but it is important uh, to share any instance with us so we can potentially, you know, look into this as a structural issue and try to highlight how we can stop it from happening. Hardeep, thank you. Thank you also to Adam, sounding very busy where you in part, where you are in Parliament. Adam, thanks so much for your time, both of you. I'm Adrian Goldberg, and this has been the Byline Times podcast, funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, which is edited by Hardeep. You can find out how to subscribe to our wonderful monthly newspaper at bylinetimes.com. And don't forget as well to check out the Bylines app on your smartphone, opening up the world of our regional bylines too. Thank you very much indeed for listening. We'll see you again soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.